to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. This week, we have a new guest with us at affectautism.com. Bridget Palmer is a DIR expert training leader and speech and language therapist in Buffalo, New York. She runs a DIR floor time parent support group called Floor Time Families, which she was holding in person before COVID, but now she's holding it online during the pandemic. She has been a floor time practitioner for more than 15 years. And we met when she emailed one day asking about the online parent support drop-in I do with ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, and mentioned that she does a support group as well. And she joined in a couple of times and I said, hey, why don't we do a podcast about running parent support? So welcome, Bridget. Hello, so happy to be here. It's great to have you. So I know that um, you've been doing floor time longer than I have, and you are a speech and language therapist. So you're in a clinical position and I'm more in a peer parent uh, position but we're both doing similar types of things with our support groups. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Floor Time Families group? Yes. So Floor Time Families started about six years ago and we started once a month, we would meet at a center. One of the agencies in our community had donated their space. And so the parents and caregivers would meet in one room and then, and I would facilitate that group. And then the children would be doing floor time with volunteers in another group, in another room. So that would be um, speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, special education teachers, college volunteers, teacher assistants, and they would be playing with the kids doing floor time. And then I would have the parents and caregivers in another room where we would have conversation and discussion. That's great. And I like that you call it floor time families as opposed to parent. I was really specific um, in really thinking about the name. And as we all know, floor time is dear to our hearts and I know it's dear to your heart. And it just was so important that it was family so that we could have anyone in that child's life come to the group. So we have lots of grandparents, we have friends of family, we have sisters, uncles and aunts, sisters and brothers. Um, and actually anyone under 18 months usually um, stays with us. And then anyone over 18 months usually goes with the, with the kids. Except like you said, we transition to be on Zoom when the pandemic started. So we have made some adjustments. Um, but yes, being floor time families was really important to me that we could really include everyone in that child's life and all of the all of the people who care about them. That's great. I didn't even think of meeting in person of the whole child care issue. So the fact that you're able to get enough volunteers and staff to play and do floor time with the children is wonderful. We've been really fortunate that a lot of our, our teams, because it's several agencies in the Buffalo community who, who come together for the childcare. And we're so fortunate that our Buffalo community has grown. 
um, that we've been able to start reaching out to the colleges and the community. And that's been really nice because then we can have college students who are coming into the group along with always our professionals so that we have experienced floor timers in doing the childcare and the floor time experience. And I know as a parent myself, my biggest concern would have been, oh no, what if my child is looking for me or you know, what if my child needs me? And to be just a couple of rooms away, just in case anything were to happen, would make me a lot more relaxed to then be able to engage in the group. And a few times if a child or a parent is feeling that need for closeness, they can stay with us. Um, but most families that only is, is a few times and then the, the, the kids are often looking forward to being with other kids and, and having those adults that they're getting to know. But you're right that that sense of comfort I think has been really important. And one thing I've noticed now that we're doing tele is that the group has changed quite a bit and actually I think there are some families who couldn't come during live in-person experiences because of lots of reasons um, and have been able to come because of the opportunity to be on Zoom. So I think having this, I wonder what it's going to look like when we're moving out of this big, huge pandemic. Um, I'm not sure, but I'm wondering how what format the group will continue in. It's so interesting. Um, I know uh, even in the ICDL online parent group that I facilitate, we get some grandparents too. And it's really wonderful to see how much interest there is from parents and from extended family to be involved and to hear what other parents have to say. As much as they come with questions, they also really just love hearing that other people are facing similar situations. We do celebrations and uh, challenges and things like that. And I know one of the things you said to me that, that I thought was interesting and that I wanna take back to the online group that I do with ICDL is the way that you format it. So I believe you said you started with celebrations, et cetera, et cetera. Do you want to describe that a little bit? Sure. So actually something that was really important when the group started, one of my colleagues had said, it seems that when we're with a family doing floor time, oh, let me back up. So all of my therapy is in the child's home and community. So all my students are five and under and the agency that I, I provide services with we go into the home, the daycare, the grandmother's house, wherever they are. And we're, we're often their very first experience with DIR floor time. We're often their very first experience with therapy. And um, that, that opportunity to, 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 to teach about the developmental individual difference relationship-based model um, there's so much to it. There's so much to having a child who all of a sudden there's someone coming to your house to play with you, to support you. And one of my colleagues said, can we do education as part of the group? So when we started it six years ago, we did a little bit more formal education where we would pick a topic, we would do a PowerPoint, we would do a video. But what's actually 
really changed over the last six years is now um, when I start the group, like you had said, I really, I want people to know that the group is safe and supportive. I want them to know everything is confidential. So I always remind them of who I am and what my training is, what my experience is, and then always invite people to introduce themselves, but to share as little or as much as they want. If they want to tell me what, what family member brought them there or what, tell me about their child, they can. Some families do, some families are listeners, but then we always start with a celebration. And I really, that again, came out of the group evolving. And I thought it was just so important that they get to have one place, not one, they get to have a place where it's about them and their child. And they get to celebrate that their child slept or that their child ate or that their child reached their hand out to hold their hand or that their child got hugs or kisses. And in a way that not all parents, our parents have, have children who express themselves in their own way, do things at their own pace. And I think that starting with celebrations really has been an opportunity for the parents to come in with pride and really come in with a sense of my child is the best child ever and that they know their child best. And so when we started to add the celebrations as the, the beginning of the group, I didn't know the significance until on occasion a parent would miss group, but they would text me their celebration. So I knew that they had been planning to tell me and, and the full group, tell the whole group something that they were proud of, something that they were excited about. And I realized in that, that moment that it was as much of a celebration for me as it was for them. So that beginning to the group really lets us all say, this is a place for us to be together, to share, and to really feel a sense of pride and, and gleam, the gleam in the eye that you and I talk about so much that Dr. Greenspan and Dr. Weeder brought to us, the parents are bringing it to each other. And then I'm anticipating it happening. So I appreciate that you brought that to, the, to this podcast to really say that that's a really significant part of the group is to always start with celebrations. Then we, I do let the group know, I, I always have a topic, um, either they've brought to me in the past or the last visit, or they've let me know was on their mind. So I, I have um, a topic that I like to prepare, um, but we can, follow that plan or as in floor time, we can follow the group's lead. So I like to really have three main group, three main topics. I like to have topics of DIR floor time, um, theory and practice where we, we talk about a developmental capacity. We talk about individual differences. We talk about specific floor time strategies. We either talk about the theory or we watch a video of floor time practice. Um, I like to talk, have videos or articles or excerpts from parents talking about their experience parenting a child who develops in their own way. So again, maybe a YouTube video, maybe one of your podcasts, um, something that's a parent sharing their experience. And then I very much like to bring the 
autistic self-advocates into the conversation. So again, um, having an excerpt from a book, a YouTube video, a movie, um, and really let the group learn about the diverse self-advocate community. Um, so those are my three main areas of, of what I want to bring to the group so they can start to share and learn. Um, but I'm so happy when the parents bring a topic to the group. Um, but then, at, but I always save that. So I, we celebrate and then I say I have a topic and then I say, but we're gonna pause. Does anyone have something that's been really hard? Does anyone have something that they've been wondering about? Does anyone have a question about floor time, a question about parenting, a question about eating, sleeping, communication, play, sensory processing, schooling, um, therapy? And then often toward the end, we, I bring that video or topic back. Um, but I want the families to have that space to really say, this is really tough, or this is really great, or, um, and I try to listen. I try to be a listener so that the parents can share with each other. So they, I'm, I'm not a parent, I have no children. Um, so I, I don't have that perspective, but I feel that I have a, a caring perspective. <laughs> um, but I want the families to build their own floor time community um, and really be those voices and smiles and, and faces for each other. Well, I'm definitely taking notes because over the next few years, I hope my parent group can evolve to have all of that richness. <laughs> We've sort of been flying by the seat of our pants and we just kind of go with the flow. But I think it is nice to have a little bit of structure um, to sort of guide the flow. And um, it is interesting when you follow the lead of the parents too, because I know I will always have an idea of something to discuss and it might be the latest podcast or blog post that I've done that I thought the parents would really find interesting or helpful. And it'll end up going on one person's question and it ends up being a theme of the day. And I know that's happened sometimes where we've had this really strong theme come up for that day where parents talk about the same issue. Other times we've had, you know, a mishmash of different items come up um, that aren't necessarily related to another. Other times I have a whole group of listeners and they just wanna hear what I have to say about a topic and, and I'll, I'll bring them whatever podcast topic and other resources. Um, I, I tend to find all these different resources to pull in. And when someone has a question about something, well, I'm not a clinician, but this is how it worked for me. And this person said this about it. 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 And bring it all in, always under a developmental approach umbrella and specifically the developmental individual difference relationship-based model and floor time. So um, it is very interesting, but I especially love the celebrations part because that really, really does set the tone for, you know, we are all here for each other. There's no judgment. 
we have all been in the same place more or less and can relate to each other in a way that often we can't with other parents and with other family members, especially siblings who have neurotypical children, things like that. And there's so many differences around family experiences as well. So um, that's amazing, amazing that you guys have this group that's lasted for so long. I, I've been so happy to come and be a guest in your group because I actually have never been to other parent groups before and not being a parent, I'm always a little bit separate, but I always love in your group specifically that you're the expert, like you and each of the parents are the expert on your children. And I think the one thing that I know you and I find value so much is that our parents are empowered to be the expert on their child, that our parents are empowered to teach those around them about the DIR floor time model, that they're empowered to say, this is my, my dream for my child. This is what I want my sessions to look like in therapy. This is what I want schooling to look like. This is what I want soccer practice to look like. This is what I want. This is what I want because I've chosen to parent from a respectful, strength-based DIR floor time way. And that you bring your, your passion as, as, as a parent and your expertise of meeting all of the floor time providers that you meet and you bring it to the group and they, the, the, the group that I've been to with you, they, they ask you questions with such openness to hear your expertise and then they wait for, for the, the other participants. And I think what I hope I do in group is that I hope I leave those spaces for the parents to really, and the grandparents to really be there for, for each other um, in a way that I never want to be the therapist in the room. Um, I may guide and like you, I may, may bring in an area of expertise because I do, I do have that communication expertise. I do have that DIR floor time expertise, topics of individualized education plans or topics of what's happening in your, in your child's preschool or daycare or when they go to gr the grandmother's house. Can, you know, can we talk about what that looks like? But I hope that I'm always doing it, doing it in a way that lets them know they have the strength to do it. They just might need that support system. Um, who is their support system to let them be the most amazing parent they are when they're feeling those vulnerabilities or those, those pushbacks from the, their professionals in their life. Um, I think sometimes, unfortunately, our parents are told by experts what to do but they aren't invited to be part of the process. And that the, the alliance that I hope I'm building in the group is to say to professionals in their lives, thank you for that information. Let me tell you about my child because I, they always know their child best and they always have their hopes for what comes next. And the trajectory, the path 
of development is development, whether your child is developing in, a, in, a, in their own way. Um, and they, the parent has that, that wish for them. And I, I just hope that your group and my group can really say to families, you're amazing, keep being amazing and keep, keep doing it. For sure. I know that I, I really noticed this and, and I guess it depends on where the parent is in their own journey. If their child is younger or they just have had a diagnosis versus if they've been um, within the autism world for many more years, I noticed that a lot of parents will come in and they just, they just look to you like this, like, you know stuff and I know nothing. And I think what the parent support online group does is really does exactly what you said. We're empowering the parent and reminding them, no, you have the answers. You are the expert in your child. And we are just supporting you and reminding you of all of these things that you can do, but you already know inside what's best for your child. And you got to listen to that voice and you've got to watch your child and tune in and, and try and tune out the people that tell you stuff that that doesn't feel right or doesn't gel with what you know about the way your child is, the way the two of you interact, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that probably is the biggest benefit I see of the parent support group is really helping the parents realize like you're doing an awesome job. You're here putting in the effort. You are caring to make sure you do the right thing. And we're all supporting each other to do just that. And, and that they're the parent, that th that is, that's who they are and their gut, that feeling in their gut when something doesn't feel right. And I always say, if, if I'm your child's therapist and it doesn't feel right, you let me know this doesn't feel right. That's, that feeling is so powerful and it's so important. And I, I just, I, I could scream it from the rooftops, but yes, parents' guts are the most important thing they can, they can listen to. And that the people that they surround them with, there has to be a sense of trust and there has to be a sense of security. And when they wonder if something isn't, isn't for their family or their child, they ha they have to let those around them know and and as you and I know find that right fit because we know that that goodness of fit that we talk about so much in DIR floor time is so important and those professionals that they spend time with really do need to be the ones who attune to the parent and attune to the child and it really has to be a, a respectful relationship and, and I think you, as you said, that group really needs to be a place that they can come and be a soft place to land so that they get to be in a place with other, other people who, who get it. I guess that feeling of not being alone. And I know for myself, I'm, I feel a sense of pride and I feel filled up in the group because I feel that I'm just being available to them gives them a sense of routine and and they know it's coming they know that every other week we're going to meet and when we were doing it live it was once a month 
And then when COVID started, I started once a week. And then in August, I said, well, let's go to every other month, every okay. other week. <laughs> and it, again, it's been for me, just knowing that I'm gonna see those familiar faces has been a comfort. So I hope they're feeling a similar sense of comfort that they can be honest, they can be themselves, they can say, I haven't slept. And my child, you know, expressed himself in this way today. And then we get to really talk about, you know, what, what was your child telling you today? And they can be there as, as, as fellow participants to really say, oh, my, you know, my child did this or my, or my parents said that, or my therapist did this. Um, and I hope, I, I really do hope it's a sense of, of comfort for them. Absolutely. Um, another thing I notice is we, we do get a spectrum of parents too, where there's people that have found the IR floor time and they're absolutely convinced that this is what they want and they're there and they're there like a sponge, but they're also, they also know inside of them what to do as well. And they're there to just be a part of a community. And then there's other parents who, whose children are still getting ABA, even mm -hmm. though it's a behavioral model and this is a developmental model and they're almost opposed to each other in their strategies. But, um, you know, they, for whatever reason, especially in terms of funding, at least where I live, it's all ABA everywhere you go and anybody you talk to. So if you want to get public funds and services for your child, it's usually going to be behavioral services. Not always. Um, they do have Hannon program, speech and language pathology. That was the very first thing that my son was referred to when he was three was the Hannon more than words. And I found that really awesome. And it's very much like DIR floor time especially in, in the early capacities of, you know, playful games like bubbles and waiting on the child and the weight watch and wonder. I think they use owl, ob yep. observe, wait and listen, I think listen. it is or something. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's also a developmental approach. And so, um, but my point is that some parents really aren't necessarily settled in on floor time and being full on floor time families. They really are just really eager to do whatever they can for their child and, and don't feel responsible if they're not giving their child services because they, they really want to make sure they're doing everything they can. And they haven't yet settled on say just DIR floor time, but they have a bunch of different things and they're just in that seeking and searching mode. So just hearing, you know, what is this floor time about? How are other parents figuring it out? What's happening, you know, with other parents? And I think I really like it. I'm still doing the other services too, but I, I like this too. And, you know, getting a feel for it. And then um, there's some others who come and they really haven't really explored any services yet. And they're just really overwhelmed with the whole process. And a lot of times it might be a lot of um, 
behaviors that are really challenging, like nonstop crying and tantrums of their child or a child who doesn't sleep. And how do I get this child to sleep? How can I stop them from having tantrums? And, and really just in a place of, please help me. <laughs> I need support to just parent my child. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what to do. And so you, you kind of get this whole spectrum of parents and what they go through. And I think every parent in the group can say, I've been there. <laughs> Whether they're there, there is the same as that person's there. <laughs> um, you know, some parents might have more extreme uh, situations than others, but we've all had incidences that look like what that parent is describing. And so even that is just, <sighs> okay, People here understand, you know, what I've been through. And I think that's helpful too. And watching the whole parent journey, I think what you said was so important. And I discussed a few weeks back with Eunice Lee in the podcast um, about discussing, um, or sorry, not discussing, about meeting the parents where they're at as well. And really, it's not just about an intervention for the child. It's taking into account where is the parent at? Where are the parents' uh, developmental challenges at? And, and, you know, neurotypical parents, meaning where does the parent get dysregulated? Because <laughs> everybody, whether you're neurotypical, neuro neurodiverse, everybody gets dysregulated when we're under stress. So what is it that this parent is more comfortable doing? And maybe the other spouse of that Parent, the other parent is more comfortable in a different way. And how can I, as the therapist, and not me, but Eunice was speaking as a social worker, how can I come in and help this family gel together and in, in floor time with their child? And so, um, you know, bringing that into the group too is interesting because parents are at different places of understanding where their own child is at and understanding that there's a why behind the behavior and that some things are not about fixing. It's about, um, you know, accepting the child for who they are. And, and then once you change that perspective and that lens that you use to look at your child through, then things start to change. And sometimes it's hard for the parents to look at themselves as well. Um, and then the other side of that is the last thing we want to burden parents with is for them to feel guilty that they didn't do something right because everybody's always trying to do everything right. So not thinking about it in terms of blame, which I've discussed with uh, psychologist Kathy Platzman on the podcast as well is let's not <clears throat> carry this guilt, but understand in this moment, this is what I'm trying to do and I'm doing my best and relationship is about ebbs and flows and I can always repair relationship as long as I understand that this is a child that I love this is a child who I'm supporting this is a child who I understand but I'm also human and I also need support too so I think that support group really provides that opportunity for parents and I think you said so many wonderful things, but thinking about Eunice Lee, who's a social worker, and Kathy, Plas Kathy Platzman, who is a mental health professional, really thinking about 
each of the roles of the people on the team, the parent being the leader and really thinking about, as you said about our groups, um, I think my youngest families are usually about two years old or the youngest children in my families. And then my oldest, I think are usually about nine. I've had a few older families, but usually between, like I said, like between two and nine. And often it's that the family started in floor time about two years old and they found us and they've stayed. And when you talked about having Kathy Platzman or Eunice Lee, thinking about that, that relationship piece, the group builds its own, it has its own relationships in it. And a family being able to talk about DIR floor time, to be able to talk about applied behavior analysis, to be able to talk about speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, the, the educational services their children are getting, you know, a special education teacher or classroom work, that it really be a place where the families can feel comfortable to bring up all of those topics because we know that our families are learning about all of the models. And I feel a huge responsibility to have an understanding of the approaches that people are going to come to me and ask. If they're going to ask about applied behavior analysis, if they're going to ask about early start Denver model, if they're going to ask about more traditional speech and language therapy, what I want to feel a sense of, of that, that the group can ask any question and that it be a place where you can say, oh, I don't know about that, or I've done that. And it definitely be a safe place to be able to say, thank you for letting us know that, you know, tell us more about that, or I'll, I'll see if I can learn more about that myself, because the group for my, for myself, and I think you agree, it really does need to be a place where the parents can say, I'm learning this, or I've done this, and I'm learning more. Um, I know you know this, but I went into school to be a speech and language therapist, so I knew that I was going to meet children on the autism spectrum and uh, with other speech and language needs. But if you're a parent and you have a baby, you didn't know that they might be growing in their own way and have their own path. So I want the group to be a place where probably no one knew they were going to come to floor time families. It probably was not on their list of things to do, but I hope that once they're there, they feel a sense of, I can ask a question about this or that and know that the other families are going to, to have knowledge of that, or I'm at least going to say, we can find something out, or you can find something out and bring it back to us because being good enough as a parent is so important. And I never want a family to feel that they made the wrong choice because they made the best choice in the moment with the information they had. And I think you and I know that sometimes people aren't hearing about the developmental individual difference, relationship relationship-based model because no one in their community is familiar or none of their their pediatricians or 
the people evaluating with them evaluating them aren't sharing that 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 it's an option. You and I are fully aware of all of the research and Diane Cullinane just did your your podcast. She just updated her white paper on the research. But if if you're in a community that doesn't have a broad range of models, then a parent might be coming to you and I because they just found us. They just they found our name or they found your website and they're so grateful to be with other parents. So I think you said it, our groups really need to be a place that people can come and see smiling or, or sad faces. Sometimes there are sad faces, but they can see faces of parents, grandparents that they can say, oh, I can be with you right now. I can be myself right now. Yeah, for sure. And there's value. Every single parent brings value to the group. So even if it's your first day there, or if your child is an adult and you've been doing floor time for 20 years and you're there, uh, there's different things we can all learn from each other. So I know hearing some of the stories of the parents of young children really remind me of everything I went through six, seven, eight years ago and make me realize how far my son has come. And it's exciting for me to be able to inspire these parents and say, you know, you're going to see your child develop and your child may develop in this way or that way or whatever way, but they will develop. And it's amazing to reflect on that. Um, for the new parents, I think it's inspiring to hear what other parents have gone through and just understand, oh, okay, they said that this really helped. I want to find out more about that. Can you connect me with that parent? And then that parent forms a relationship. And I know, you know, people that did that matchmaking for me early on are some parents that I'm still connected with to this day, even though I may not see them regularly. I may not talk to them all the time. I may talk to them once every few months, once a year, and then a few times every month, uh, and then not again for another couple of years. But having that connection with somebody that's sort of following along, oh, how is your son doing? You know, last I heard, blah, 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 blah. And you'll say, oh, wow, this and that. How about your son? And it's just great to have that connection. And it's connections, like you said, we probably never imagined we would have. And we never imagined people don't um, get pregnant thinking I'm going to have a child who might be on the spectrum or have a disability, but you grow into that identity, I think. And it really is an identity when you can be a part of a community and we all understand what we're going through and really understand how beautiful life can be. Even with a neurodiverse child, it, it doesn't mean that your life is any less or that your child is any um, less important. In fact, I, in a lot of ways, many parents say, and it might be hard for parents who are going through nonstop tantrums and sleepless nights to imagine, but our children bring us such wonderful gifts in this world. And Dr. Robert Nassif talks about it so wonderfully. And I'm going to be doing another podcast with him soon too. So I'm really looking forward to that about how much he's learned from his son and how much his son taught him about himself and how his son taught him to be a better person and to 
to give and to, you know, his whole career and line of work in, in helping other parents was directly due to his relationship with his own son. So I think it's just, um, I can't say enough about parent communities. <laughs> and I, I hope that when I'm in the group, I'm becoming a better therapist because I'm hearing parents tell me about their day, tell me about their night, tell me about their family relationships. I hope that I'm, I'm fortunate because until COVID I was in people's homes and I always felt a sense of connection. But the parent group is unique because it really is a place where I hope I'm becoming more attuned to parents. I'm becoming a better listener. I'm becoming more able to connect. And some of the families, I, th I think I may have said this, but some of the families um, in my group right now, I didn't, I didn't know before COVID. So that's been really a neat opportunity because I feel as connected to them as I had to all of my other families who I have known in, in the real world, live world. Um, but your point being that the experience of parenting a neurodiverse child, I am not a parent, but the experiences that I see in the parents and the grandparents in my groups, it really is something that is, is so exciting. And I think of Dr. Temple Grandin and her mother, Eustacia Cutler, and I think of Temple's book, Different Not Less. And when Temple, when I think about Temple and you listen to Temple's YouTube or you read her books or you see her present or you see her mother present, it really gives you a sense of a, a mother-child relationship that is just a beautiful relationship. And, and so again, for me, thinking about what you and I bring as, as facil facilitators of parent groups, floor time families just comes back because it really is that floor time family. And it really is saying to them, you get to parent thinking about your child. You get to think of where they are developmentally. You get to think of their individual differences. You get to think about the relationships you're building. And that it's an active process that the parents are, are, are already in. They're in that process but we, you and I might just be giving them those supports of, oh, how are you following their lead? How are you reading their cues? I love the way you did that. And just really giving them that sense of you're, keep going, keep going. We, you know, you've got a group of people here who are, are doing the same thing. And it's, it's a, again, a safe, secure place. Absolutely. I really um, liked a couple of times that we've had together in the group when you were a guest, how you pulled in some examples to really just set parents' minds at ease. So I know a lot of times parents are concerned when their children develop and they seem to get fixated on certain things and they, they have extreme interests or some might say obsessions about certain things. And so a child might be focused so much on butterflies and everything having to do with butterflies. And 
and the parent will have a book about butterflies and the child will recite all the types of butterflies or, or whatever it might be. And I just loved the way that you turned it around and said, well, you know what? My husband loves football and I have to listen to every Buffalo Bills football game. And if I let him in and engaged him, he would talk about football all day long for hours and hours and hours and on end. And does anybody question that? Nope, it's normal in Buffalo. And, you know, you shared that you're not the biggest football fan. <laughs> but why is that considered normal? And yet our children who absolutely love what they love, and for my son, it's trains. And like, he knows every type of train and wheel configuration and British trains and American trains and diesel versus steam engines. And, you know, he, he's sort of gotten away from trains a little bit, but he'll, he still loves them. He's sort of started getting interested in some other things now too, but some of the younger children, when they're starting out, it, it really does kind of shock some parents. And so I loved that you brought that example. And I think a lot of times this was a very, very salient experience for me because I only have one child. And my one child had a medical emergency at age two and was in recovery from brain inflammation and had the autism diagnosis out of the hospital. So there wasn't even a consideration of having another child because we were so focused on this child. And so I had no idea what development was typical versus non-typical versus autistic versus not autistic. Plus, a lot of my son's personality and behaviors are exactly like mine. <laughs> and as far as I know, I don't have an autism diagnosis and I didn't have any challenges in school. I had no behavioral challenges. I had no problems sitting still, listening, doing schoolwork, anything like that. Yet, he's exactly like me. And my husband blames us for giving him gray hair. <laughs> but, um, you know, my son's personality or tendencies or whatever, I didn't have anyone to compare them with. So sometimes that's what happens when parents get that diagnosis. They're focused on every single behavior the child does and scrutinizing it more and more. And sometimes I think we should really, um, actually, maybe this is an, I've just thought of this right now. I should like start a support group where I invite parents of neurotypical toddlers to sit in with us and tell us their stories about their children who have, you know, temper tantrums that go on and on and uh, who don't sleep through the night, who have all of these other things too. Because sometimes, you know, some people will say to me, that sounds exactly like what every other kid goes through. And it might be what every other kid goes through at age three. And my son was seven, eight or nine when he went through it but he's moving through those developmental stages. So, you know, we, we would get those questionnaires. Does your child point to things? No. Does your child say no when you try and do something that he doesn't want? Does he tell you no? No. Does your child, whatever, whatever, no, no, no. And then a year later, my child starts pointing at things. Oh, two years later, he starts saying no, 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 no to everything. A few years later, he starts doing that. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, and the next stage, why? Does your child ask why? 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 But why? But why? I heard this developmental stage and all of a sudden, I can't remember how long ago it was. It 
maybe he was six or seven or eight. I don't remember. All of a sudden, why, why? And I was like, oh, it's happening. He's actually going through human development. <laughs> it's just a different timeline. So I really do like that part of the parent support group too, is just reminding everybody that, you know, autistic, neurodiverse, neurotypical, we're all humans. We go through development. Yes, some children will never stand and spin in a circle all the time or clap their hands when they're excited, but every child gets excited and every child does something and lots of people tap their foot when they're sitting at their desk and lots of people twirl their hair and do other things. And those are considered normal and our children do this. And so I, I think that awareness is helpful too to parents. And Daria, you just said so beautifully that experience of development and the group really gives a, all of our families a place to talk about what their children are doing. But again, unfortunately, if the therapists in their, that child's life are talking about a deficit-based model, then when that child starts saying no, 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 which is exactly where they're supposed to be, that's exactly that next step, let me take back supposed to, that's the next step, no, no, no. And one of the professionals in that child's life, the speech and language therapist or the teacher is saying, oh, they're, they're being you know defiant or they're <laughs> saying no or something. And I'm celebrating, I'm jumping up and down because I'm like, oh my goodness, they're saying no, they're asserting themselves, they're building their sense of self, they're building their expressive language, they're using an assertive word, they're letting you know what's important to them. And, and as you and I know, we might be the person who says to that family, well, how do you feel? What do you think when your child says no? And we pause. And the parent says, well, gee, it seems like that's, that's that word. That's an important word. It's meaningful. They're, they're, they're expressing themselves. And then we, you and I might say, well, would you feel comfortable telling your therapist or your child's teacher why that's important to you, that you're a strength-based parent, that you're really looking at your child's abilities, you're looking at your child's what they're doing as, as being important expressions of who they are and where they are developmentally. And I think that's, again, unique to the DIR floor time model is that that child going through those developmental capacities is part of human development. And you and I are both familiar with Dr. Barry Prezant's book, but when Dr. Prezant wrote Uniquely Human, he really is talking about being a human being. And you brought up football, so I'm going to laugh and say, if you've ever been to a, and I have not, I'm sorry, Buffalo Bills fans. I have never been to a Buffalo Bills game, but if you were in the stands, people would be screaming and yelling and jumping up and down and probably spinning in circles. And everyone would be very happy about that. So I want our kiddos to be able to jump up and down and then spin in circles and be very happy about butterflies. And I want them to be able to say no. And I want the professionals to listen to the parent. And if our parent group gives a parent the opportunity to say, this is my goal, this is my priority because I'm parenting my child with a respectful parenting, I'm parenting them the way I would parent any of my children, um, that 
I want that parent's voice to be the loudest voice. And I want them to work with their team. I don't want them to alienate anyone on their team. But I also want that parent to feel strong to say, this is what's important to me. For sure. Always the case. And yeah, I think a lot of times parents just need to be heard as well, instead of, like I said, how they come to the group seeking like, oh, you guys know more than me, I need to seek your help. Similarly, we also need to say to them equally as much, how do you feel about it? What is it that you want? Um, and giving them the space where that voice can be heard and where they can hear other parents voicing that because when they, uh, I know that this has happened a few times in the group where parents think about something, but they might not want to do it, but then they see, oh, another parent in the group did that. Maybe I can do it after all. And, you know, that'll be, whether it's a role model or inspiration or just having that sense of, oh, it is okay to do that. I didn't know I could do that. And having permission to actually do something to advocate for your child or at least feel that it's okay to express your thoughts or feelings about what's happening in that in, like you said, let's bring it right back to the parent being the expert on their child. Absolutely. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. I thank you for coming on the podcast this week and I'll look forward to seeing you in the online parent group whenever you get a chance to pop in. I know the parents are always eager to have um, the thoughts and and the chiming in of someone who is in a position like yours where you get to see different viewpoints from parents as well as being on the clinical side. So you're always welcome. And I encourage anybody who's listening that wants to put a comment or question in the blog post at affectautism.com about the parent support groups. And I will put links to some of the things we discussed. You mentioned Barry Prezant. I did a podcast with him about Uniquely Human. So I'll put a link to that in the podcast and other things we discussed at affectautism.com. Thanks so much, Bridget. Thank you so much, Daria. Thank you very much. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.